I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric at home of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. Today on the show, we're joined by Andrew Hall from the Pro Football Network. Check him out on Twitter, at Andrew Hall FF. Andrew, thank you for joining the show today. Hey there, pleasure to be here. Before we get into the players, I had a couple of questions I'd like to ask you. Is there a sweet spot as to when the draft should be done? Ooh, fantasy drafts are always best after, in my opinion anyway, after the second preseason game, but before all of the third preseason games are over. And obviously this season, none of that applies. <laughs> that, that, that's right. That's right. Uh, are more leagues starting to use individual defensive players? I think more than you've seen in the past, but IDP leagues are still probably only about 5%, maybe even less, of regular fantasy leagues. Most home leagues that you see the quantity, the, the huge surplus of people playing, don't really play with individual defense. It's just a, a little bit too complex for the normal user. For those that do, what's the best way to draft them? Well, so I'm only in one IDP league, and the way that I look at it is I would draft it just like any other offense-only league. Try to get the best player at any best position you can without reaching too far. I think also one piece of advice I use for any draft is play the room. You know, know the guys you're drafting against. If you see a run start to happen on defensive backs, just like you would on tight ends, pay attention to that and see if maybe there's a tier break in your rankings. I always tell people, too, it's good to have tiered rankings, and it's good to have rankings in general for anybody. Uh, not only ADP, but actually a ranking of who's best at what position. And I know we have a lot of that on ProFootballNetwork.com to help people out. Excellent. Do you have a sense as to the preferred league setups, scoring, number of teams, dynasty, keepers? Yeah, I think for the most part, you're, the majority of fantasy leagues out there are going to be what's called redraft leagues, where you just draft a new team every year. Um, those leagues, you almost always have 10 to 12 teams in each league that's pretty common some have fewer some have more uh, most people now are playing with ppr or point per reception so that way each catch counts for something uh, and for instance in a standard or non-ppr league a pass that gets completed for seven yards is 0.7 points for the receiver but in a ppr league it's 1.7 points so you kind of get the idea with ppr it really adds a lot more value to some of those possession receivers that may catch those shorter passes but for the most part, that's kind of what we're seeing. I know Superflex is starting to take off and tight end premium and all these other kind of convoluted scoring systems out there. Dynasty is definitely taking off. But for the most part, redraft is still your your bread and butter, so to speak, what most people tend to play. I was surprised that there are more and more leagues using two quarterback formats. Is that an anomaly or is that something that's actually making treadway? That Yeah, that's a that's something we're seeing come up. That's what we consider super flex, where you have the instead of a normal flex position that can play a wide receiver, tight end, or running back in that spot, a super flex allows you to put a quarterback in that slot. So what you end up seeing is 12-team leagues, you'll have a, a quarterback, designated quarterback position, as well as a super flex position that allows you then to play two quarterbacks at a time. And what, what that does really, though, is it adds a lot of value to the quarterback position. It makes them one of the most important positions in all of fantasy which makes sense when you're translating it to regular football again a lot of fantasy football players are regular football players first and so in a one quarterback league you might have in your draft you might have one quarterback on your team through 15 rounds maybe some teams don't even draft any 
In super flex leagues, you need to get two quarterbacks pretty early because if there are only 32 teams in the NFL and you can start two, as a, and so can your other 11 opponents, that means 24 quarterbacks are started each week. It puts a much higher premium on them, and that for, therefore you see them going a lot earlier and kind of going where they're valued in relation to other players. At the Pro Football Network, have you noticed any correlation to managers that are more or less active at the, at the waiver wire transactions? So, yeah, waivers are an interesting thing. You, you see it a lot. Every league has waivers that run after the week is over. You see whoever played well last week that kind of shows up out of nowhere. Then they start to get some attention and saying, hey, we need to I need to go get that guy on my team. In redraft leagues, you see a lot more waiver activity because your rosters, again, are only about you know, 12 to 16 spots. Uh, you might have a few bench spots and maybe have a few more. But even with 16 players on a team, you still got some variety out there. In dynasty leagues, though, when you're playing with rosters that are 25 to 30 or more slots, the waivers are much thinner. You're not seeing a lot of things happen. So what I always say is in redraft, waivers are a lot more important, and you can actually win your league if you pay attention week to week and get those guys. In dynasty, it's not quite as often that you see somebody break out that isn't on someone else's roster. So waivers aren't as important in dynasty, but they definitely are in redraft. I'm I'm glad that you brought that back because that that was what I was curious about is if there was actually any um, on the redrafts each year, if there was something to being active in the waiver period. Um, Definitely. Okay. Okay. Uh, I drafted Lamar Jackson in the first round this year. Is that antiquated? Well, I guess it depends. Every single question that I ever get, and, and you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Hall FF. I ask questions. I answer questions. I do trade polls. I, I answer trade polls. The one thing that I always say when it comes to a question like that is, well, what's the context? Is it a one quarterback league? Does your league have PPR? Is it four points per touchdown for quarterbacks or is it six? So I think in general, I always tell people do whatever you want. Go get your guy. It's all about having fun. And I think even in a one quarterback league, if you draft Lamar Jackson in the first round, they're going to get some turned heads. You're going to get some people that ask questions, but I wouldn't call it antiquated. No. I personally never draft a backup quarterback. Is that unique? No, I think that's pretty common. Again, if you're looking at most 12 team leagues that have one quarterback requirement, you might have 12 quarterbacks that are taken or you might have 30. It depends on how your other league mates go. And there are a lot of people out there that are kind of in the mindset of late round QB, just waiting on quarterback and taking whichever one you get in the later rounds. And the thought behind that is the 12th best quarterback is not that much worse, or I shouldn't say, I should say, is not that much better than the 20th ranked quarterback. So there is some value to waiting on the draft and kind of letting other players get to you and take some values where you can, and then getting one quarterback in the 13th round and that being it. I took Travis Kelsey in the second round. Is it unusual to take a tight end that high? Not necessarily. I think, again, it depends on the league. It depends on what you're playing. I personally don't like to take a quarterback or tight end that early, but if you're getting Kelsey, he's the top one at the position. You're not going to get a lot of pushback from people in the industry on that. So I think that's not a bad play. It just depends on how you want to play the rest of your draft. How early is too early to start drafting kickers and defense? Ooh, okay, so this one, it depends, I guess, on again, on how your league is. If you're in a league where everybody else drafts kickers and defenses early, to me, that's a good thing. I always wait until the last round or two, I guess, if you've got both kickers and defenses, to draft those guys. There's not a lot of benefit in a normal redraft league in drafting one of the earlier ones. 
again, it's just about value over replacement, right? The VAR, value above replacement. If you're drafting a kicker in the eighth round, you're passing on guys like Michael Gallup or A.J. Green or other players there, Calvin Ridley, you know, players like that that can really do a lot of help for your team. And instead, you're getting a kicker that is going to get you on average one point over the one you'd find on the waiver wire. So there's not a lot of benefit to getting a kicker or a defense early in my book. I don't think I've taken a defense or a kicker during the draft in the last four years. But I, I recommend that. That's, that's the way to be. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, good. Then I will continue. Uh, if you're in a PPR league, why draft a running back early? Well, okay, so it depends on the running back. But in all redraft leagues, running backs are going to have more value than receivers in in general, mainly because there are fewer of them that are top-tier options. You might have, let's say, 20 running backs that could be a solid set-it-and-forget-it kind of play in your weekly lineup. You might have 40 or 50 receivers that are okay with being a wide receiver, too, on your team. So because of the, the reduced amount of quality out there even in a ppr league i would still recommend getting a running back early unless you're at the end of of a round if you're at the end of the first round and you see a lot of running backs already go well then yeah let's get a receiver because i've got a quick turn coming up on the snake draft i can get a running back in the next round that's still good value so overall i I think there is some some validity to the zero running back kind of philosophy Uh, i just personally even in redraft leagues that's not something i tend to abide by i'd rather have at least one good running back on my roster to kind of build a team around uh, what's the best way to go back up running back while we're talking running backs, best player available or your, or your first running backs handcuff. So this is something that I've, I've heard a lot about, and there are really no wrong answers on this. I actually just put a poll on Twitter about this. Cause I was curious what, what the market does, I guess, or what generally people in, on Twitter would say. Um, my idea is that I don't necessarily find a lot of value in drafting the backup to my court, my running back. If I'm drafting Dalvin Cook, I don't necessarily need to have Alexander Madison on my bench. I see the benefit of that, but you're only going to use one of those two players at a time. And in the other way of looking at it, if I draft Ezekiel Elliott, for instance, I would rather draft Alexander Madison because then if Cook were to go down, I'd have two valuable assets. I'd have two valuable players that I could use, potentially trading one even to someone else, maybe the, the Dalvin Cook owner, now that he's injured, that guy needs a player. I'd rather have someone to trade them than hold on to a bench roster spot and just kind of hope that something bad happens. Uh, the value doesn't tend to work out too well that way. So my personal philosophy is draft other people's backups as opposed to my own. But both options are definitely viable. For those that don't know, the handcuff is the backup to the starter. Uh, we are a Washington-heavy show here, so are there any draftable players on the roster this year outside of Terry McLaurin? Well, that's a great question. So I'll, I'll start at the top. Dwayne Haskins, I think, is draftable, but only in two quarterback or super flex leagues like we talked about before, uh, mainly because if you've got two quarterbacks starting each week, you're still going to need a third or even a fourth on your roster for bye weeks or injuries. So in those leagues, Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins may be one of the top three or sorry, bottom three in the NFL, so to speak. He's still got a long ways to go, but he's still got some viability in those leagues. Uh, obviously McLaurin is definitely a stud and a lot of people like him. I've got him on some leagues, my, in some leagues myself. What is the average um, outside of that? What is the average draft position or place for McLaurin out of curiosity? I can pull that up. I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say he's around wide receiver 27. 
something yeah. like that. So he's a he's a wide receiver three if you count it as that, as in the first twelve are wide receiver ones from thirteen to twenty four are wide receiver two, and McLaurin would be a solid wide receiver three option. Okay. Um, and I think that's about where he belongs. But when you move to the running back position, obviously Washington has had a lot of um, variability at the position in the past month. Let's say uh, there have been some some changes to that running back room. They added a lot of players in the offseason in Peyton Barber and J.D. McKissick that both have kind of in their history been fantasy viable on certain weeks. Um, but I still think the the top of the crop is going to be either Adrian Peterson or rookie Antonio Gibson. And both of those players do have viability in, in any re- regular redraft league, in my opinion. I do think the ceiling is higher. The potential for, for a bigger week is higher for Antonio Gibson. But I would say out of the gate, it's probably going to be AP's show. And we're going to see how he plays and see how he handles himself. If he can stay healthy, he might hold on to the job all year. So he's definitely an option that I think should be targeted in most drafts. What do you think about that one? I think you're right. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I, I worry with taking Washington running backs that Peterson will end up snaking all kind of touchdowns, uh, assuming they get into the red zone, uh, because that's more what he does, right? He's a pounder. The offense, I think, that Turner's trying to set up is more move people around, get big chunks of offense. Uh, So that's my only concern with the Washington running back is I think by the end of the season, maybe Gibson's getting. Oh, and I think that's an entirely valid concern. Okay. Um. Let's see, uh, uh, Stephen Sims Jr. over the last four weeks of last year, I think had caught five touchdowns by the time he was done. Uh, do you think that that holds true throughout the course of an entire season this year? Is he fantasy, be, is he fantasy yeah. draftable? Uh, So again, it depends on the league and the settings. There are some leagues that give bonuses or give points to return yardage. So in something like that with Sims having the return ability, he's got some extra potential to get on the field and make a play. So I think there is something there, but I don't know if that's necessarily going to make him an every week starter. On the other end of the spectrum, I would say Sims is one of those guys that you can get practically free or at the very end of your draft that could have a lot of upside if he becomes the number two receiver on this offense. Um, a lot of times what I what I try to advocate for is at the bottom end of your draft, you want to draft players that will tell you who they are within the first week or two. You don't want to sit on somebody for four or five, six weeks while they're injured or waiting to see what they're going to do. You want to use those spots for new waiver acquisitions after week one. And Sims is a perfect candidate for that. If he shows up in week one and let's say he gets seven catches for 80 yards and a touchdown, you're going to be glad you drafted him. He's going to be worth it. But if he doesn't do anything, that's fine. You cut him and you pick up someone on waivers. He didn't cost you very much. So I definitely think he's a draftable option, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him kind of going in later rounds, even in in shallower leagues, like in the 12 to 15 kind of range. But in most leagues, I don't think there's a problem with that, and I think it's a good idea to do. You never know. Someone's going to have to catch the ball. They're outside of the court. All the early uh, reports out of camp uh, are that Haskins is finding Logan Thomas in the end zone daily. Uh, Do you think that that works in the regular season? Well, again, going back to what we were just saying, someone else is going to have to catch the ball there. They're going to have to game plan around more than just one receiver. Everybody knows you can't just put one guy on the field and say he's going to succeed. You know, he's going to have to be a distraction to get someone else open or vice versa. So I do like Logan Thomas. I think he's a really good deep sleeper in terms of tight end for fantasy. Uh, Tight end is always kind of a, a hard one to pin down in fantasy. There are so few of them that are studs and are regular producers. And everybody's always looking for the next Mark Andrews or someone that's kind of rising out of nowhere. 
I don't think there's anything to say that Logan Thomas can't do it. So yeah, why not? Let's, let's put him on the bench, especially in dynasty leagues when you have a lot of extra roster spots anyway, you know, he's probably on the waivers, even in some dynasty leagues where you've got 12 teams and each one's got 30 rosters. I know I've picked him up throughout the off season for virtually nothing. And I'm just waiting to see how it goes. As far as the defense special teams goes, is it worth it? I mean, we're assuming that they're going to be a sack machine this year, but if they give up a ton of points, will that do away for the overall worth or value of picking them as a defense? Well, that kind of, again, it depends on the league. I always say you, you got to know your settings, right? If your league gives points for sacks and takes away points for the defense, letting points get scored or has you know different thresholds for that, then that could be something you want to keep in mind. But if your league only scores for sacks and interceptions and doesn't care about points against, then I think any defense has the ability every week. And in that point, I tend to rely on, well, what teams do I like watching? What defenses do I, I think are good defenses in the NFL? And so if you like the Washington defense, that's definitely a valid option in leagues where maybe it doesn't hurt you as much as others. All right. Why don't uh, you give us five or six that you're higher on than most and, and maybe a couple that you're lower on than most? Sure. So, I mean, at this point, I think what we're looking at, if, if we're looking at, let's start with running backs, right? Let's just look at some running backs. So one of the running backs that I'm higher on than almost anybody, I feel like, is Miles Sanders in Philadelphia. I think that there's a potential for him to be the next kind of top tier Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey kind of range. Not saying he is those players or that he'll be as good as those guys, but I just think he's got the most upward trajectory or the highest ceiling. So I'm I'm pretty high on Miles Sanders. I know he's going in the first round or even, at least in the second in most redraft leagues. I'd rather I don't mind taking him in the first half even depending on the settings. There's just not a lot of competition there and while Boston Scott will get the ball I think Miles Sanders could have a great year. Someone else that I'm pretty high on kind of later in the rounds. I mean, if we're kind of moving down the ADP, one that I talk about often is Jarvis Landry. Uh, Right now, Jarvis Landry is going as wide receiver 28 in PPR leagues as ADP, kind of right around Terry McLaurin. In my opinion, Jarvis Landry could have that kind of season, especially in PPR in the top 10. He's consistently put up top 15 wide receiver seasons in fantasy for the last five years. So getting him at wide receiver 28 on ADP means you're, you're getting somebody that can be a solid producer on your team week in and week out without having to spend a lot. Uh, another one, and I'll kind of land on this one for the tight end group, Evan Ingram and Hunter Henry are two people I recently talked about on another podcast that I think could be that, that second tier that moves into the first after this season. Evan Ingram is someone who obviously has had some injury concerns, so is Hunter Henry. But if they can both show up and both play to their, their actual atmosphere and where they should be, I think they could easily be top five, top ten tight ends. I'm sorry, top five tight ends, even though they're going as top ten tight ends. So those are some players that I think could, could have some upward trajectory as we get through I the season. I love the uh, Jarvis Landry and that new offense. There's a, a real shot for him to catch five, six, seven balls every game because uh, they uh, don't they, this predicated exactly. on short passing, right? That's exactly right. Yep. And that offense, too, doesn't tend to want to run the ball. They want to pass the ball to run the ball. Right. So what you end up getting into is a position where Nick Chubb may be somebody that I'm lower on than others. Uh, Nick Chubb is someone who is obviously a, a terrific running back, one of the best pure runners in the NFL. Some people have him as the best pure runner in the NFL. But in terms of fantasy, he's got a lot of competition with Kareem Hunt, who you know is going to get the ball a lot. And that offense, in my opinion, while it is a running offense, you're going to see it spread around a little bit. And we, I would personally need to wait and see as to how that offense is going to come out. 
there's a high likelihood that Jarvis Landry is the top producer on that offense. And that would leave Nick Chubb down the boat, down the bill a little bit, as well as Odell Beckham Jr. So that Browns offense makes me a little nervous just where their ADP is in terms of fantasy. And I think uh, Jarvis Landry is the value. The others I'm a little bit hesitant on, at least until we see it on the field. A couple more that you might be a little bit lower on than most. So lower on than most, there are some players in general, I kind of fade rookies, the the rookie receivers, I should say Um, rookie running backs are almost always, you know, they hit the ground running, pardon the pun, but receivers take a little time to learn the offense. They need to build some rapport when they move a certain way, a quarterback has to see them. So for me this year, I'm a little lower just in general on guys like CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, Jalen Rager, players like that, that are very good, talented receivers and and are going to hit the league and are going to make a name for themselves in fantasy. But this season, I'm a little bit hesitant, at least until I see how that offense utilizes them. Everybody remembers last year with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and Paris Campbell. Those, these were top wide receiver options. Heck, even Nikhil Harry. They just did not hit right out of the gate. Some of them are looking at better second years. But the hit rate for first-round uh, sorry, first round rookie receivers in dynasty leagues, things like that, where they're coming into the league brand new, it doesn't happen very often that a, a rookie wide receiver kind of balls out so to speak in the first year and actually has a good time so i'm kind of fading a lot of the rookies other than running backs this year just in general a quick reminder that if you lose your draft this year it's not andrew's fault you just weren't paying attention andrew thank you for coming on and getting us ready for the season you got anything coming up we should be looking out for yeah, I'm, I'm working on some articles now for uh, for Pro Football Network. I do a mock draft Monday series where I do a mock draft every week just to kind of get people in the mindset. I've already released two, and I've got a third coming out this next week. So I definitely recommend people check that out before they get to their own draft, just because you can see how a real live draft goes. ADP is great, but a mock draft is even better. So uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you might see me putting out some notices and things like that to get into a mock draft. I think that's going to be the best way to practice for your own draft getting into the season. So that's pretty much what I'm working on as we get closer to NFL time. And again, it's Andrew Hall from Pro Football Network. Check him out at Andrew Hall FF. Buddy, thank you. I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Doug. You too. I'll have me back uh, anytime. We'll do it. Thank you. Thanks. Take care.